Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keen. Parker's MMA Show episode, this is number 53, rolling along here. Um, like always, like, subscribe, do all that good stuff, and we'll keep the content rolling. So Billy, let's jump right in. UFC five, 254 uh, went down now two weekends ago. Um, we're going to start with the co-main event, and then we'll get into the main event with Justin Gaethje and Khabib. But in the co-main event, you had a very important fight at middleweight. You had Robert Whitaker taking on Jared Cannonier, in which uh, a fight was we, we both thought was kind of your number one contender fight for the next shot at Israel Adesanya. So, um, Billy, Rob ended up edging out Jared over a three-round decision. Um, what did you make of the fight? You know, very impressed with Rob Whitaker. Uh, his his defense, his chin were were really impressive to me uh, over the course of this fight. You know, I I know you want me to say it. I picked Cannoneer to knock out Whitaker. So, um, you know, I uh, I was wrong there. I thought Rob really did well, and he did well to hurt Cannoneer earlier in the fight. Right? I mean, Cannoneer said he broke his arm with the first kick of the fight. Um, you know, I, I, I think Rob has, has really acquitted himself since the Israel loss. And this was kind of like the cherry on top of that. He's not done yet. Um, because that kind of looked like the Yoel fights had changed him for a bit, but then, you know, he comes back, he beats Darren Till, he beats Jared Cannonier. I mean, those are great wins for Robert Whitaker. So, um, I'm excited to see what's next for him. Yeah, I agree. I, it seems like he's building you know, back towards that title fight. That's why I don't think he, you know, overly pushed to have it right away. I think he feels like he's building momentum back towards that eventual rematch with Israel. But um, for me, outside of the scary moment in the third round, I, I thought Rob was just a, a step better everywhere. And that's kind of what I said in the pre-show is, you know, I I, I know Jared Cannonier is a super dangerous guy, but I just felt like Robert Whitaker was better everywhere. Um, you know, for Jared Cannonier though, this is a very, it was a great fight for him. I mean, he showed what he's made of and showed that he deserves to be in the top five right now at middleweight. And I, I really do. I think he's a dangerous out for anyone right now in the, in the top five. Um, but the way I scored the fight, I, I had it three rounds to zero for Rob. Um, and I'll just say it again. I, I think Rob's one of the most experienced now and most well-rounded fighters on the roster. So I'm, I'm looking forward to what's next for him. So um, for Rob, what do you, what do you think's next for him? You think he goes right into the title shot again, or does he take one more fight before that, you know, eventual rematch? I think it's possible. We see Rob Whitaker get put on the shelf for a little bit. I think he's, he going to let his say, let Izzy do his thing at light heavyweight. I think he, he can get that next title shot without fighting again. Um, I, I could also see a scenario where, 
you know, if Izzy loses to Jan Blahovich, he could be looking at the Whitaker rematch as a way that he could get back on track because mm-hmm. obviously Izzy feels like he kind of has Rob Whitaker's number. So um, that that's kind of that's kind of what I'm thinking for Rob that he's he's done enough and there's no other clear contender at middleweight for him mm-hmm. to fight. So um, I think he could be he could be next for Izzy at middleweight. Yeah, I, I think obviously depending on what. Israel does up at light heavyweight. Um, if he gets that belt, that's going to throw a wrench in to things because you know I, I would tend to think that if he gets that belt, he's going to fight John Jones next. You know, but we'll have to see how the timelines line up for Rob. I, I feel like he wants to stay relatively active. You know, he had a good year. Like I said, it was a rebuilding year. Um, I could see them matching him up against a guy like Paulo Costa just for a fun action fight that could you know headline a fight night or be one of the top fights on a pay-per-view card so um i i think he will get one more fight just looking at the timeline before he gets that rematch um for cannoneer where does he go from here i love the Derek brunson fight for jerry cannoneer i think Jared cannoneer like you said he looked really good in this fight i actually i had it 29 28 for whitaker i thought cannoneer did very well in that third round. Um, so Derek Brunson's obviously coming off a great performance at against Edmund Shabazian, but um, you know he's had kind of trouble breaking into that top five. So I think either you you give Derek Brunson a shot at you know making a run at the title, or you know you give Cannoneer a fight against someone in the top ten, but someone he could maybe get back on track against. So I think it's a win win uh, either way. So that, I really love that fight. Yeah, I, I want to see him fight Yoel Romero. I know Yoel maybe had an injury, and I think that was the fight that was previously scheduled, right? It was Yoel versus Jared Cannonier. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's my guy. I want to see him fight Yoel Romero. But um, like I said, no real drop in, drop in the stock of Jared Cannonier. Um, solid performance against a world-class fighter. Um, it really shows that he belongs you know, with the elite of the middleweight division right now. So, all right, let's get into our main event. So, Khabib was back in action defending his belt against Justin Gaethje. Um, Billy, what did you make of the fight? Are you prepared to apologize for your slander towards me last episode <sighs> yeah, about I guess. the way that this fight would go? Um, I thought Khabib, I thought Habib really dominated. Um, I know everyone's going to say Justin Gaethje did well in the first. Some judges gave him the, the round. Um, Two out of three. I saw... What I saw was Habib getting a read on his opponent for three and a half minutes, knowing that it was a 25-minute title fight. The last 90 seconds, once he got the takedown, Habib dominated. I even thought he could have finished the fight if he was a little meaner with the armbar at the end of the round. But uh, I I thought he was completely dominant, to be honest, from start to finish. Yeah, I I think Justin had a good game plan. I just don't. There's no way he could have kept that pace or kept that game plan for all five rounds. Eventually, Khabib was going to get the takedown, and when he did, you just saw Justin had zero answers. Once you know, in the submission grappling aspect of that fight, it was like Khabib just absolutely sliced through him, and it, he just looked like he was a black belt and Justin was a white belt. He really did. It was just like, he had no defense. Khabib just, there was like, there was zero jujitsu from Justin Gaethje. Zero. Mm. I mean, it was, he was helpless on like, once it got to the ground, he was absolutely helpless. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think Khabib could have finished that fight in the first round. Um, 
But for J- Justin, he did. He stuck to what we said he would have to do. He he tried his best to stay off the cage. Tried his best to defend the takedowns. He was, you know, bringing damage with those leg kicks, and he landed some good shots. But um, I'm I'm on board with you, Billy. I I just don't see any lightweight on the planet, or maybe any lightweight ever, that has the ability to beat Khabib. I just don't. I don't. And I've this fight kind of made me a believer. You know, I I've I've praised Justin Gaethje. And I thought Justin Gaethje was a guy. I thought Dustin was a guy. I thought Connor was a guy. But Khabib is just so far superior to all of them. And to put on that performance with the weight he was carrying, with the loss of his father, the broken foot, the retirement in the back of the head, back of his head. And to basically do it with zero ground and pound. He basically took him down and just sliced him with jiu-jitsu. I don't know if he landed a strike on the ground. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that fight was a master class from Khabib. It was very, very impressive. Um, all right, so that leads me to my next question. Was this Khabib's best win ever? In terms of quality of opponent, I'm st- I still think Dustin Poirier is Khabib's best ever opponent. And in terms of quality, but I, for everything that we've ever criticized Habib for this checked every box, right? He fought a guy who was a credentialed wrestler. I mean, right. Justin Gage, he's a division one, all American wrestler. There's not very many men in the octagon better than him at wrestling. Right. right. He took him down and then finished him early in the second round. Like you said, with, Zero ground and pound. Just put him I to mean, sleep. Choked him out. Grappled, grappled <laughs> yeah. Him. Like, this is about as dominant as UFC title fights get, especially when it's like a true number one contender, right? Both of us agree that Justin Gaethje was 100% deserving of this title shot. And, like, there's just not very many UFC champions who can do that to a guy of Justin Gaethje's caliber. Yeah, I agree. I, I think... It was incredible. Um, you just see, I, I think Khabib just has the perfect build and attributes for just a dominant fighter. I mean, he's got it all. There's no blaring weaknesses. He's a technical yeah. genius. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. The techniques that he pulls out yeah. are, I mean, who had, did you have Habib by triangle? No. To not win at all. this fight? I mean, that's <laughs> stellar. That's a. Yeah. You know, mounted triangle to roll Justin Gaethje and then just choke him unconscious. I mean, that is black belt level jujitsu. Yeah, and I just mean, how, it's just how stellar. smooth he put it together. I, I think I heard Luke Thomas saying this today, but um, from the moment he caught that kick and then worked, you know, through the progressions of that submission and finished the fight was, I think, a total of twenty-two seconds or something crazy. Like that's. It's it's it was amazing. It was it was amazing. It was tense. The first round was super tense because you didn't know what was going to happen. Then after that first takedown and when he almost got that arm bro, it's like it's over, you know. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think it's probably his best performance ever because um, I, I think Justin was the most dangerous all around um, and probably the the toughest stylistic matchup for Khabib. But um, all right, so after. He gets on the mic and basically is very, very emotional and says, hey, this will be my last fight. I'm going to end at 29-0. and 0. So, Billy, do you take Khabib at his word and do you think this will be his last fight? I think I'm, I'm probably 50-50 on whether he fights one more time 
I just think 30 and 0 is just like a such a nice round number. Like we saw Floyd go to 50 and 0, right? I, I just think he might the UFC might have something to offer that he could be interested in, whether that's some new contender at 155 that kind of challenges his GOAT status or whether it's like a chance to move up to 170 or whatever it might be. I just see I, I see him almost I, I'm 50-50 on him having one more fight. If he comes back, um, what do you think the offer would have to be and who is it? I kind of see him going for a second belt. I don't know why. I, I just think like that's like the one blemish on his resume, I guess. Um, but I, I just don't think Usman is the guy to do it, right? So that's that's kind of that's where I'm at. Is like I think if someone got the 170 belt, who would truly like cement Khabib's legacy, then I think he would be more interested in it. Yeah, for me, I I kind of tend to believe that Khabib is a man of his word. I, generally, when he says says something, he sticks to his guns. He's not like you know Connor or that'll tease a comeback just to get Twitter likes or get attention. And I, I really don't think the money is all that important to him. You know, I, and he said that leading up to the fight, he was like, "They could give me the UFC. They could give me four billion dollars, whatever they're going to give me." And and he had no interest in fighting Conor McGregor again. So, yeah, I I don't know. It would have to be something big, and it would have to line up right. And the only thing I see lining up right is you know if Conor gets that belt back and then puts one or two title defenses together and earns Khabib's respect to come out of retirement. I, I could see that, but I don't see Connor getting that belt in his next fight and then his next fight being Khabib. I just don't think Khabib has the interest in having that, you know, violent lead up again and just all the negativity and the bad press and everything. There's that, that just a really dirty build to that fight, and I, I don't think he wants to have any part of it. I, I think he dominated Connor, and I don't think he could do it better. So um, I, I tend to think he's going to stay retired. But for Justin, he's definitely not going to stay retired. Uh, what do you think's next for Justin? I love the Michael Chandler fight. I mean, Chandler kind of threw it out there after uh, after Habib beat Justin that he would like to face, face Justin Gaethje. I think that's perfect. I think, you know, Justin Gaethje's the last kind of high-profile champion from another organization to join the lightweight division. So now Chandler comes in. It's kind of that that storyline there. They're both kind of action fighters. Like, I just think that's kind of a that's a perfect matchup for for both guys. Yeah, I think something's going on with the Connor versus Dustin matchup. I, I think maybe Dustin is still wanting too much money, or something's going on that that's not booked. Because I I thought they would have booked that immediately after the Khabib result. Um, so I actually tend to think that Justin Gaethje is going to step in and take that fight for a lot less money against Conor McGregor for your undisputed champ. I, I think that's the next move. Um, just for whatever reason, in the back of my head, I, something's going on with Dustin where I don't think they're coming to terms. And in the next month or so, I think we've got to have a decision on what they're going to do with Conor McGregor. So I'm going to go Conor McGregor for Justin's next fight. Um, all right, if you're the UFC matchmakers, how do you match up the lightweight division as it stands right now? So I still book the Connor versus Dustin fight, and I make it for the vacant title. I think that's yeah. a perfect fight. Um, I do Justin against Michael Chandler, and I do Tony Ferguson against Charles Dobronx Oliveira. Okay. Um, 
I've got Connor versus Justin as your title fight. Tony versus Dustin is, I think, money wise, the UFC can make that deal. It's a awesome action fight. Both of those guys want that fight, so I, I think that's a great fight. That's your number one contender fight. And then you do Michael Chandler versus Hooker, um, or Chandler versus Oliveira. You know, I think either one of the Oliveira or Hooker; those are the guys that Michael Chandler is going to fight. Um, for Conor McGregor, you do you. What are the odds that his next fight is a lightweight title fight? 75%, yeah. 80%. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think especially especially if Khabib's actually gone, which they they haven't taken Khabib's belt away or they haven't taken him out of the rankings. So you saw like with uh, Henry Cejudo, I mean, they stripped him and took him out of the rankings the next day. So I, I there's got to be some back and forth still going on with Khabib. And that's part of the reason it's not 100% for me because it seems like Connor really desperately wants to fight. And so if he's pushing to get a fight date before they're ready to strip Khabib, then we're probably looking at Connor McGregor taking a lightweight fight, but not for the title. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they would have to make that announcement before they book the Connor fight, right? I think that might be what's holding up Connor and Dustin is they don't know what they're going to do with Habib. And so they're trying to figure out, is this a title fighter? Yeah. All right. That makes sense. All right. Um, any closing words on the Khabib, Justin uh, Gaethje fight? No. I mean, just unreal performance for Habib. And we're going to get into it later. But, I mean, you know, there's there's conversations to be had about Habib's place in MMA because he is one of the best fighters we've ever seen. For sure. Um, all right. Any other fights or storylines of note outside of the main, the main and the co-main? Uh, Magomed Ankalaev is a problem, dude. Dude, like, that was brutal. Oh my god! Our poor, our poor guy, future friend of the podcast, yeah, Jan Kutalaba, got his face put in the canvas badly. That was not good. Yeah, that guy is dangerous. Super dangerous, super dangerous. Um, for me, I had the you and I kind of predicted this might be the fight of the night, but I had the Casey Kinney versus Nathaniel Wood fight. That was an absolute banger. I love watching the, the little guys fight, and that just goes to show you how deep that 135 division is right now. I think it was at a catch weight, but those guys are, you know, in the top 10 to 15 at that division. So it just shows you how deep and how talented that division is right now. And then our guy, uh, Ty Tulavasa, got back in the win category with a vicious first-round knockout of Stefan Struve and then multiple spit shoeys to follow. So, uh, yeah, big win for him. It's good to see him back. That dude's – the UFC needs him. He's he's awesome for the heavyweight division and got a good win against a legend in Stefan Struve. So, um, all right, let's run through – let's get right into the GOAT discussion here, Billy. Um so obviously, after Khabib dominant win against Justin Gaethje, there was a lot of back and forth between him and John Jones taking to Twitter about who is the goat in MMA. Um, who is your MMA goat and why? So uh, I have a like very wishy-washy answer. I think Khabib is the best fighter I've ever seen in the octagon, but John Jones is the goat. Habib has never had a close fight. Never. John Jones has had three close fights. 
right? I think Gustafson won, Tiago Santos, Dominic Reyes, right? I think we can all agree those were close. John has the better resume. He has the better UFC record. He has more title defenses. He has more notable names on his resume of people that he's beaten. Um, But Habib has not just beaten the best of the UFC's deepest, toughest division. He's done it in increasingly dominant fashion. I mean, finishes in the fourth round, the third round, the second round, right? I just, I don't think anyone's been able to replicate that in any other fight against their common opponents with Habib. And I think John will probably retire with the best MMA resume of all time, but he's just shown like this level of beat, like being able to be beaten that Habib has just not shown. Well, and with John, it's like, you know, for the Gustafson fight, you know, that was probably his first close fight. And that was a fight that he just, he'll, he'll come out and flat say, hey, I didn't train for that fight. I just flat out didn't train for that fight. You're not getting that from Khabib. Khabib takes this so seriously and is so dialed in for every single fight. So, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think Khabib may be the most dominant fighter over you know, his prime stretch. But for John, I just don't think anyone's going to be able to touch his longevity. I mean, he's essentially 26 and 0. He's defended his title 15 times. Probably half of those fighters are against former champions from the UFC or pride. Um, So you look at, I agree with you. You look at his resume. No one's touching that resume ever in MMA. I mean, John, John basically took out, champions of three generations and now he's fighting off the new crop of light heavyweights and if he can move up to heavyweight and get that title and beat francis Ngannou or beat stipe i just don't see i think he's going to further distance himself in the goat conversation where it's you know at the end of his career it's not going to be close so yeah uh, i i think the the more interesting conversation to me honestly is habib versus gsp because Habib can't touch John Jones's resume. Right. But when you bring the USADA stuff into it, right, you have to consider it. I, I, I personally don't care. I know you don't care. I know yeah. we think, you know, it's kind of overblown with John. Well, I, I think it's the times. But, it's like, hey, probably 80% of the guys he, he fought were on something. I mean, it's, it's just a different era in MMA. It's like... It's hard when you talk about the GOAT discussion because it's very, very hard to, to compare Fedor to John Jones to Khabib. I mean, all these guys fight in different eras against different levels of competition. So it's very, very subjective when you're talking about it. But the question for me is with GSP, basically, do you value, the, like you said, the longevity of GSP or do you value the fact that Habib never even looked close to getting beat ever. Yeah. Which, which we saw GSP lose multiple times. Like everyone brings up Matt Sarah, but like he lost to Matt Hughes. There's a lot of people who thinks he think he lost to Johnny Hendricks. Like we saw GSP to get beat up. He got dropped against Carlos Condit. Like Habib, these guys couldn't lay a glove on him. The yeah, best division yeah. in the world. These guys couldn't lay a glove on him. And it's also, it's weird, because the bottom line is you age. So you're not going to be in your prime forever. So 
you know, the next six fights for John Jones, he may win them all, but they all they all may look like, you know, Reyes or Santos. And what does that do to his legacy? You know, it's it's a, it's a different fighter than the John Jones that won the heavyweight strap at 23 years old from Shogun Hua. It's a completely different fighter, different fighting style. So it's it's hard to compare those guys because Khabib had one fighting style and it was dominant. John Jones has evolved, you know, over the last 10 years. So I, I don't know. It's very, very hard hard to figure out. But um, all right. So I think you and I are going to agree on this. But with this most recent win, is Khabib now the best fighter ever at 155? Yeah. And we're going to get let's get right into our top fives right after this. But Habib, here's his resume. Dustin Poirier, submission. Justin Gaethje, submission. Conor McGregor, submission. Edson Barbosa, Rafael Dos Anjos, Michael Johnson, submission. Ally Akinta, Glayson Tebow, who at the time is 27 and 7, and I believe Habib is something like 14 and 0 or 15 and 0. Um, I mean, tore through the vast majority of guys who were in the top 10 during his prime. Just tore through them. Well, I, I think 10 years from now, when you look back at lightweight, you're going to have Connor, Dustin, Justin. Obviously, he never fought Tony, but that's three of the best lightweights ever, probably when their careers are done. Um, so, yeah, for me, Khabib's a, he's easily the best lightweight of all time. Um, I'll let you go ahead and run down your rankings. All right. So my honorable mention is uh, our guy, Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh Beat Cowboy twice, beat Benson Henderson, Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz, Evan Dunham when that meant something, Jason High, Terry Edom. Um, very, very close between him and my number five guy, one of the best lightweights of all time. Uh, my number five, surprising, Michael Chandler. Uh, beat Benson Henderson twice. Beat Patricky Pitbull twice. Beat Eddie Alvarez Beat Goiti Yamauchi, who I believe is like 25 and 5, something like that. Uh, beat Marcin Held, UFC veteran. Beat Dave Rickles, Caveman Dave, uh, twice. Uh, beat Akihiro Gono when that was a big win. Um, you know, Bellator champ for a long time. Beat, beat a prime Eddie Alvarez, a very, very good fighter. Excited to see him in the UFC. Uh, number four, kind of a throwback. Takanori Gomi, probably the best lightweight of the Pride era. Uh, beat Hayato Sakurai, Jens Pulver, former UFC lightweight champ. Uh, beat Tatsuya Kawajiri, one of the best Japanese fighters of all time. Rumi Nisato, uh, Tyson Griffin, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, uh, Crazy Horse Charles Bennett, Half Gracie. Okay, another uh, guy we need on the podcast. <laughs> Crazy Horse Charles Bennett. Oh, my God. <laughs> He was, he was, I mean, Takanori Gomi, one of the best lightweights of all time. Um, number three, Benson Henderson, uh, beat Cowboy twice, beat Frankie Edgar twice, beat Patricio Pitbull, Jim Miller, Clay Guida, Josh Thompson, Nate Diaz, Gilbert Melendez, and Roger Huerta. Um, probably other than Habib, probably the best UFC lightweight of all time. I mean, Benson Henderson in his prime was just absolutely incredible. That's a pretty unreal um, resume right there. And then number two, uh, second best lightweight of all time, Eddie Alvarez, Shinya Aoki, Kawajiri, 
uh, RDA, Gaethje, Aaron Riley, Roger Huerta, Patricky Pitbull, Gilbert Melendez, Anthony Pettis, and Michael Chandler. Guys fought champions in every organization at lightweight all over the world for a very long time. I mean, no question he's the second best of all time for me. And then number one, we've already went through the resume, but Habib Nurmagomedov. Never seen anything like it in my life. Parker, Absolutely. give us your top five. Well, I didn't do as much research as you on my top five, but we can agree on Khabib. Uh, so I had Khabib, BJ Penn, Tony Ferguson. I think Tony Ferguson's resume is ridiculous, too, for the people that he's fought. He's still got more to give. Uh, Dustin Poirier, same. I feel the same about him when it's done and said he's going to be one of the best 155ers of all time. And then I had Frankie Edgar in there. So... We can tell Billy did a little more research on this list, but <laughs> those are our top fives all time at lightweight. Um, some pretty incredible names there, but I think we can both agree that Khabib is the best to ever do it at 155. So, all right, let me go into my next question here. Does the fact that Khabib never moved up a division um, tarnish his legacy? You know, with the likes of Israel Adesanya moving up, you had Cejudo that moved up, you had Connor moved up, John Jones is moving up. It seems like the thing to do once you've cleared out a division and dominated a division. Um, does the fact that he never moved up diminish at all from his legacy? Not for me, because yeah. I think 155 is a deeper division than 170. And like you said, like cleared out a division. Habib never cleared out 155. There's an argument that he still hasn't cleared out 155, and there would still be competitive fights, or at least as competitive as anyone for him to fight right now at lightweight. So um, I, I just, I don't see it the same way as I see like Cejudo with the flyweight belt um, or even Amanda Nunes with moving up to featherweight to be take on cyborg. Um, I, I just, I don't think it, it diminishes his legacy at all. I don't either. I, I, I will go back to it outside of Tony. I mean, he beat the best three fighters of his era and, I mean, really, that we can count on. He's lost one, maybe two rounds. I think round three to Connor and round one to Justin. Outside of that, he's never been dropped. He's never been cut. He's never been hurt. He's never been in danger. Um, you don't see that, you know, from the beginning of your career to 29 fights. You just don't see that. You know, no one gets out of this fight, this this game unscathed, and he's been able to do it. And in one of the most dominant fashions as I've ever seen. So I don't think it diminishes his legacy at all. Um, if the UFC was able to talk Khabib into coming back to take on, to go for a second belt, how do you think he would fare currently against Marty Usman? I, I, ta I take Khabib in that matchup. I just do. Like, I think Khabib at 170 is going to be terrifying. I think he's going to be super strong. I think he'll be able to take uh, Marty Usman down no problem. Uh, I, I just I, I'm I I don't take I I don't think anyone can beat Habib. Not I mean maybe maybe at 185 I would take you know I would start to think okay this is definitely a size difference. I think Habib is a humongous lightweight. I think who, he's huge. Who wins in their prime, GSP or Habib? I still think Habib. I just do. I really do. I don't think because like what Habib has shown us is your striking ability does not really affect his game plan. It just doesn't. He's fought the best strikers in the division. 
I mean, Connor, Dustin, Justin, Edson Barbosa, Rafael Dos Anjos, that's, those are the five best strikers in the division, maybe outside of Tony. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. Um, I don't know. I think the Marty one would be interesting. Um, obviously, the size thing is a big question. I think their game plans and their abilities would somewhat stalemate it a little bit. Um, and we've seen, you know, Marty go into deep waters with Colby and and be able to, you know, withstand a fight like that. I, I don't know. I, I think that'd be an interesting one. I, I don't think it's a big, a huge fight. You know, I know Khabib's a huge star, but I know Usman's not a star. So I, I think if the UFC was planning it, they would want to do Connor or GSP. But um, I don't know. That's a 50-50 fight for me. I, I think Marty is really, really good, and he's really strong. Really, he's a lot bigger than Khabib, too. So... I don't know. Um, all right, so the only one of the only knocks on Khabib's legacy is just the amount of times he fought in the UFC against top level competition. So I mean, outside of Edson Barbosa, that's the three guys again that we talked about. We talked about Connor, Justin, Dustin. Um, I I give RDA a lot of credit. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah, that was a good. One. And then you know the raging Al win. That's okay, but. Um, does the amount of time he was out or, you know, due to injury or missed weight cuts or, you know, not being able to fight during Ramadan or anything like that diminish his legacy, you know, 10 years from now when we look back at the legacy of Khabib? In this, we've, we've kind of gone through this, but in the sense that Khabib's re- resume is shallow, it's just shallow, right? There's not a ton of names on that resume. But at the end of the day, when he was healthy, when he stepped into that octagon, every minute that he was in there, he was dominating. He just was. Like, he was never, ever in danger, and his opponent was almost always in danger. I mean, say what you want about the Raging Al fight. He played with Raging Al. Raging Al, who's supposed to be like a great boxer, Habib chose to stand with him, chose to trade with him, and Raging Al couldn't do anything. And that's a top 10 UFC fighter. That's a top 10 lightweight. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I I, I think if he was able to stay healthy, um, you have you know two to three more f- title defenses out of him. I just, like I said, I'll say it again. I, I don't see any one of this era at 155 beating him, period. Period. End of story. That's it. So, um if it is the end of the, his career, phenomenal career, um, he'll definitely go down as one of the best to ever do it. For sure, the best to ever do it at 155. And thanks for the good times, Khabib. So, uh, Billy, it's now time for everyone's favorite segment, Billy's Hardcore Minute, and we're going to cover Bellator. Billy, take the reins. I, I take objection to the fact that this is considered the hardcore segment of the I just show. didn't watch it. When I didn't watch it. I have a lot going on, man. Gegard Mousasi, a top five, we both agree, a top five middleweight in the world, fought Douglas Lima, who we both agree is a top five welterweight in the world, right? Yeah. I dropped the ball here, Billy. So I'm going to let you cover it, everything that went down. <laughs> This was not the most exciting fight. I'll yeah, be it was the feedback you. I got. Yeah. Um, Gegard kind of outpointed uh, Lima. He got him on the ground a couple times. His takedowns were pretty good. 
Um, kind of felt like like the order being restored in Bellator a little bit. Like, okay, Musasi should have their middleweight belt. Now Lima can fight like in their welterweight division, which is still pretty stacked. And um, you know, we can kind of kind of go from there. So. Um, I, I don't think you missed like a barn burner here, Parker. You think Gagar is just like sick of the little guys trying to come up there and beat him? <laughs> I watched him from the from one row back just absolutely butcher Rory McDonald a couple of years ago. Um, but it does go to show you it's just like Gagar. Gagar's a large human. You, if, I don't know if you've ever seen him in person, but he's a very very large man. And I, I just think the size and the experience and the ability is just too much for those guys. Um, all right, so for Lima, where do you think he goes from here? I mean, I think he just goes back and defends yeah. his welterweight title. I think I Lorenz Larkin's probably up next. Um, but he's huge, dude. Like, he did not look – like, Rory looks small. He did not look small against Gegard. Reportedly, he walks around around 200 pounds. Um, that's so crazy. He cuts that much. He's very large. That's nuts. Um, for Gegard, where do you rank him currently, um, in the middle middleweight division as a whole worldwide? I have him right below Whitaker. I think it's Izzy Whitaker Gegard. I, uh, I think Gegard's really, really good. I think he's a really technical kickboxer. He's very good on the ground. He's a good wrestler. Like he was able to take Lima down. Um, I just think he's so crafty that anyone in that top 10 at middleweight, especially kind of these great athlete, but um, inexperienced or younger guys. Right. I think he could just kind of mess with them, make a miss and then, you know, win a decision. I agree. I, I said that I, I see him as like the middleweight 205 version of Alistair Overeem. He's a guy that's been around forever. I think his first pro fight was in 2003. He fought in Pride. He fought in Dream. He fought in Bellator, Strikeforce. Um, all of those, he had a belt, I believe, except Pride. Um, but yeah, it's a guy that he just he's aged very well. Very, very well. And he seems to get better and better and just have little wrinkles, like you said, that are going to get him over on these younger guys. So, um, yeah, great win for Gegard. So what's next for Gegard, Musasi? Um, I would like to see him defend the middleweight title. I think there's guys like John Salter, Anatoly Tokov, who, um, you know, maybe don't have the biggest names, but could give him at least one title defense. And then... I think he's eventually going to go up to light heavyweight and probably challenge Vadim Nemkov for his title up there. Yeah, I could see that. All right, um, any anything else of note from the Bellator card? Prospect to look out for, uh, Dalton Rosta. He's 4-0 uh, out of Pennsylvania, uh, Division II wrestler, all four pro fights in Bellator. Uh, so he fights at middleweight, but he's had two fights at 205. He's huge for a middleweight. And uh, this is his first ever pro fight to go the distance. But he moved the whole time. He was in control the whole time. He was working submissions the whole time. So he really proved he has the cardio. Definitely a guy to look out for. Um, he was he was kind of a nice surprise on this Bellator card. All right. Let's switch gears here and get into another GOAT. Anderson Silva. Um was back in action last week in UFC fight night against Uriah Hall. Um, Uriah Hall gets a fourth-round knockout over Anderson Silva in what a lot of people are, are thinking is going to be Anderson's last fight. Um, what did you make of the fight? 
I thought Anderson actually fought pretty well in the I beginning. Did too, yeah. I, I have him winning. I am winning the first two rounds. Me too. Um, but it was like at the end of that third round, uh, it dawned on Uriah Hall that he's fighting a 45-year-old yeah. with a suspect <laughs> chin. Yeah. And Uriah Hall's an absolute monster of a human. And so he just started letting his hands go. Yeah. But, you know, it was, sad, it was sad to see Anderson go out like that. I mean, you know, just a guy who, you know, was really one of the first fighters I ever loved watching. Um, you know, it's just sad to see him kind of go out on his shield that way. Yeah, and it's not it's not like he's not competitive. This is not BJ Penn where he's, you know, he's getting the doors blown off of him. I agree with you. I think he won the first two fight, the first two rounds, and I think if he had a little better game plan, he probably could have won 3 and maybe 4 and maybe cruised to a decision, but he just like he got reckless and then after he got clipped, um uh, which was I think at the end of the third round, he was just out of it and he rushed in you know, just too recklessly and got caught. But I don't, this is just, this is this sport, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't age well as a legend and expect to fight, you know, top five guys in your division at 45 years old. It's just not realistic. It's not. Eventually you're going to see this decline. And if you hang around too long, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So, um, yeah, like Anderson put on a good show, but I don't need to see him fighting anyone in the top 10 ever again. At middleweight, I just don't. So um, for Uriah Hall, obviously this is one of the bigger wins of his career, um, knocking off a legend like Anderson Silva. Where do you go from here if you're Uriah Hall? I, I like him against anyone in that top ten to fifteen range, right? So Chris Weidman, uh, Akhmedov, Edmund Shabazian, Marvin Vittori, Ian Heinish, who I know is fighting this weekend. Uh, Brad Tavares, any of those guys, I think would be an interesting fight for Uriah Hall. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the Chris Weidman fight. I also like the Derek Brunson fight. Uh, Chris Weidman would obviously be building, you know, Uriah's name off another f- former champ and big, big name in the sport. And then Derek Brunson, I agree. We talked about it earlier. He looked really, really good in his last, last fight against Shabazian. So either of those for me, but, um, yeah, Uriah Hall's now on a three fight win streak, two of the three wins being by TKO or KO. So he's uh, going on a run here at middleweight. So for Anderson Silva, where do you rank him um, all time amongst MMA fighters? And where do you rank him in the middleweight division? I have him probably fifth all time, mm-hmm. um, but best all time middleweight, right? I don't think there's any debate that he's the best all time middleweight. Yeah, I agree. I have him as my best all time middleweight. I've got him currently fourth um, behind John Jones, GSP, Khabib. I think he he slots in at four. Then I had Fedor at fifth. Um, but yeah, he's one of the best. To so ever I have do it. I have Fedor above him, but I have yeah. the same top yeah. five. Um, okay, for Silva, he's now one in seven since 2012, which I believe was his second loss to Chris Weidman, and then he had that no contest against Nick Diaz. But um, anyway, since then he's been one in seven. Do you think that this run has tarnished his legacy at all? And and what are your general thoughts on you know fighters holding on too long, you know, after a legendary career? I mean, on the surface, right, like you'd be foolish to say it doesn't tarnish it at all, right? Because there's going to be – there's people who watch that 
that that was their first Anderson Silva fight, or there's people who have only watched him since 2012, don't know that this is the guy who front kicked Vitor Belfort into oblivion, and you know have only known him as this guy who loses, who gets knocked out, who gets injured, whatever it is, right? So that's that's a fact. But if you're a hardcore MMA fan and you've been following this sport, you know enough to care about someone like Anderson Silva retiring. It's actually really impressive what he's done. He never lost in his athletic prime. He only lost post-injury, you know, when he was 38 years old. He hung on and was able to, like, have competitive fights with top 10 guys in and this I, division. Well I still think he's, he's competitive with anyone maybe from 10 to 25, I think. I mean, he still looked sharp last weekend. I mean, Anderson Silva de- debuted in 1998. It's crazy. the same year Matt Hughes debuted in 1998, and it's Matt so Hughes crazy. hasn't fought in a decade. Yeah, it's like, so crazy. Anderson Silva's career has spanned the entire lifetime of modern MMA. Right. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll, I mean, I think the only the best comparison is the BJ Penn situation, and like the way I felt about that is he hung on way too long. You know, he peaked. When he knocked out Matt Hughes in 2010, then he lost seven of eight, three by unanimous decision, three he got finished in. Um, Anderson Silva's on a six or lost his last six or has six losses since the Chris Weidman fight. But you look at the competition. I mean, he f- lost to Bisbing, who went on to win the middleweight championship. He lost to DC, who went on to win two titles at light heavyweight and heavyweight. Then lost to Israel Adesanya, who seems to be his heir to the throne of you know, maybe best middleweight ever on the rise. So, I mean, it's not like he's fighting, you know, the Clay Guidas of the world or, you know, guys that are hanging between 8 and 15 or whatever. He's fighting the number one, number two, number three contenders, and he's still putting on, you know, decent showings. So, um, yeah, I don't think it does anything to tarnish Anderson Silva's career. And honestly, I don't – if he wants to hang on and have a couple more fights, you know, against – reasonable opponents you know Robbie Lawler um, older guys like that where he can have competitive fights and he's not getting fed to the absolute animals of the division I've got no problem with that I mean he's a grown man if he wants to fight he can still fight I think he's got one more fight on his uh, UFC contract but yeah so um, all right what else we got here Billy oh here's a little stat that I pulled up so Anderson Silva from 2006 to 2012 was 16 and 0 with 14 stoppages, 11 title wins. Since 2013 he's 1 and 7, one no contest, zero stoppages, zero wins. So, you obviously you look at the run he went on from 2006 to 2012 and that's right up there with anyone. You know, Khabib's run that we're talking about in the UFC. So, he's for sure one of the greatest to ever do it. But um for you, what is one of your favorite Anderson Silva moments? I just think about like the the magic, right, that Anderson Silva brought to MMA. Like when you look at the fighters of that time, it's all kind of these like, you know, your rough and tumble kind of tank abbot types and people like that who are trying to kind of dismiss the traditional martial arts and dismiss kind of our traditional notions of you know, the old Bruce Lee Kung Fu movies and how those fights looked. And Anderson Silva not only brought that back, but he, you know, made it extremely successful at the highest levels. And that to me is just, I mean, he's the first fighter I remember like 
looking on YouTube and just, you know, being astounded at the things that this guy was doing to people. Um, I, I mean, to me, the Vitor front kick has to be the most iconic moment, but Anderson Silva, just the art that he brought to MMA is something that we don't see often. It paved the way for guys like Izzy and Connor. And I, I, I just, I, I, hats off to him for having the bravery to attempt to do some of those things in a cage fight. Uh, against another grown man who's trying to kill you because that's so amazing to me yeah i think when you and i look back on this you know 15 20 years from now anderson silva is going to be one of those guys that elevated the sport of just like the possibilities in the striking realm what could be done and like like you said he paved the way for the next great generation of fighters conor mcgregor israel adesanya michael venom page you know people like that so um yeah, for me, the the Vitor front kick is freaking legendary. That'll be on every highlight reel till the end of fighting, um, till it gets outlawed or something crazy. But um, yeah, that was amazing. And then the Forrest Griffin fight back at UFC 101 was, I believe, the second MMA fight I ever watched. The first one was Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner back at Tough One. And then I remember the buzz of my dad and all his friends just being pumped about this new sport. And, hey, that Forrest Griffin dude is fighting again. He's an animal. We remember him from that first fight. And then it was like no one really knew about Anderson Silva. At least that circle didn't. And I remember watching that fight with probably 20 of my dad's friends in the room. And he just absolutely schooled Stephen, or Forrest Griffin. It was like I remember everyone's thinking that Forrest Griffin – took a dive or, you know, took a fall or whatever. But you go back and watch it, and it's just like he was so many levels above Forrest Griffin at that time, and that was like the peak, you know, upwards of the peak of Anderson Silva. So I'll always remember that, you know. It's just like how incredible and how smooth and, you know, how graceful he made fighting look. So um, that's my Anderson Silva memory. Um Outside of the Anderson Silva fight, any uh, notable fights or storylines from that card? Uh, our guy, Kevin Holland. I mean, yeah. you know, great submission from him. He looks really good. Would like to see him get, you know, someone close to the top 15, if not in the top 15 next at middleweight, because uh, that's four wins in 2020 for him. Really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I had my guy, Kevin Holland, is on a run. Um, he's got to have the most wins in 2020, right? Maybe coming up on, on the most wins in a calendar year? For a middleweight, probably. Yeah, because I think Cowboy Cerrone has maybe five wins in a calendar year. Maybe. Four or five. But anyway, um, yeah, Kevin Holland looked really sharp again. And then I had Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy continues to slowly improve and and you know add to his game. And he had a pretty vicious knockout against Maurice Green. So, again, it's another guy with a lot of potential at heavyweight to keep an eye on. So uh, those are my two. The, the coaching change, I think, uh, you know, refocusing, getting one-on-one -on -one training with Dean Thomas, Sugar Rashad Evans. Yeah. Um, I mean, his striking looked completely different from what we've seen from Greg Hardy in the past. Yeah, and again, this is a guy that is a super athlete. I mean, he was an all-pro 
NFL football player, super athlete, and if he can get guys like that in his corner to give them that much attention, you're going to see exponential growth from a guy like that. So um, something to keep an eye on. Let's dive into, real quick, Billy, this week's card, and then we'll get out of here. Um, this week, the UFC's back in action. Tiago Santos making his return. He's been out, what, about almost a year, year and a half, um, taking on Glover to Tixera for what would we think would be the number one uh, contender fight at light heavyweight this weekend. Billy, how do you see this fight going? I think, you know, if Glover's winning this fight, it's going to be his grinding, dirty fight up against the fence. He's going to try and get it to the ground. He's so good in the clinch. He's so heavy on guys and just works his trips and, you know, gets it into his world. Um, I think if, if uh, you know, Tiago Santos is winning this fight, I, I think he's – Got to keep, you know, Glover on the outside. He's got to move. He's got to use the Muay Thai, use the kicks, you, and set up his power shots against, you know, obviously an aging fighter in Glover Teixeira. Yeah, I agree. Um, if, well, we're just going to assume. So in your mind, this is definitely a number one contender fight? I think the the light heavyweight title gets really screwy if Israel Adesanya wins, yeah, right? Yeah, it gets crazy. Um. If if Jan if Jan wins and keeps the title, then for sure this is number one contender fight. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, all right, so for Santos, he's been out since his loss to John Jones, in which I, I believe he injured both legs and had surgery on both legs. So he's had a long road to recovery. Um, what do you expect him to look like in this return? It's hard to know, man. I mean, he had a very serious injury. I mean, he, I think he had four major knee ligaments repaired. Um, his style is reliant on him being explosive, right? He's long. He has very strong legs. He has very strong punches. You know, he, he likes to use those explosive movements, kind of throw off his opponent. You know, I I think it's entirely possible. He looks diminished in this fight. Um, I I just think, you know, someone of his caliber, that, that kind of athlete, I mean, he's a freak among freaks Mm -hmm. in the UFC athletically. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you hope that that kind of guy can come back from that surgery. But, I mean, it is a very serious injury he's coming back from. Yeah, and for Glover, um, he's now won four straight at light heavyweight since his loss to Corey Anderson back in July of 2018. Um, what do you think it's going to take for him to get this win against Tiago Santos? He has to get this fight to the ground. I mean, has to. Um I think, like I said earlier, he's so good in that clinch. He's so good at getting these, you know, huge light heavyweight guys to the ground. You saw it against Anthony Smith, where it's not these power shots. It's just him digging underhooks, him hooking a leg, and him getting you to the ground. Um, And once it's down there, I mean, we've seen Glover Teixeira inside control, in mount, is so heavy. He chokes guys out. He beats guys up. He's able to land that big right hand at ease. So uh, I, I really just think if he can get this fight to the ground, I think Maheda is in big trouble. Yeah. Um, all right. So give me your prediction. I, I'm I'm going to assume that Tiago Santos is able to bounce back from surgery, and I'm going to take him by second round KO. I think Glover's striking defense is not the best. I think Maheda's got great great uh, Muay Thai and. Uh, I, I, I think Glover's chin is a little suspect too at, uh, over 40 years old. Yeah, I agree. I I've got Santos by third round knockout. Um, but it should be a fun fight. It should be a, an action packed fight. So, um, any other fights of note on this card, Billy? 
I have my eye on Ian Heinish against Brendan Allen. Um, two kind of young, up-and-coming middleweights. Both guys really, really good on the ground. Um, I think this will be a really fun fight, so I have my eye on that one. All right, cool. All right, so that's going down this weekend. Um, let's jump into one current event real quick, and then we'll get out of here. So um, earlier this week, Israel Adesanya versus Jan Blachowicz. Um, they basically came out and said that'll be Israel Adesanya's next fight. So moving up to 205 to try to take the belt after John Jones had just vacated and moved up, and then Jan won the belt. So um, what's your initial reaction to this? Uh, this is legendary by Izzy to, to flex like this. I mean, we talked about it last week, how we just didn't see any reason for Israel to go up to fight John Jones if there is no belt on the line. And for him to basically like step in front of John Jones in line to get the light heavyweight title is just such a boss move and so, just so classic Adesanya. Yeah, it's just like uh, the ultimate troll move. You know, John... John moves, announces he's moving up. Israel gives it like three months while John is allegedly bulking up to go move to heavyweight. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go up and get your belt. And then, and then if he gets the belt, it's like, what does John do? Does John stick to the original task and go get that heavyweight belt? Or does he come back down? He's got to go vegan for three months to lose weight. I don't know. It's going to be weird. But I, I agree with what you said earlier. I, I think if Israel can get that belt, which is a big if, you know, do not. Big if. Yeah, big, we, big if. We, we've, we've done this before, but do, do not sleep on the Polish power. That dude can knock anyone out, and he looked phenomenal in that title, title fight a couple weeks ago. But um, if Israel is able to get that, that belt, I mean, what do you think they do? I, that's why I said earlier when you asked me if it was the number one contender fight, I, I have no clue. I honestly have no clue. Like, I don't know if Izzy vacates it, if John immediately comes back down to go get it, if Izzy wins. What do they do at middleweight if that happens? Like, uh, that is just, that is something else, man. If if they If they end up, if Izzy ends up winning that light heavyweight belt, I think the UFC's got a lot of matchmaking challenges on their hands. Well, it's like you look at the timelines. They say Jan and Izzy are going to fight in the first quarter of next year. Then they, you know, you've got D or uh, Stipe in France is supposed to. Uh, I think it's they said March for that. So, like, if you're John, what do you do? You you got to take a fight in between. So, who do you fight? Curtis Blades or Derek Lewis? I don't know. I I honestly I don't know why. Why does John not just come down and fight Izzy right now? There's no belt. Yeah, Izzy but he wants the belt. Yeah, but John's lingering. Like John's gonna wait, have to wait till next summer to fight for a title belt. I think John played his cards wrong, honestly, with the whole not fighting, not committing to fighting Francis thing, gave it, giving up the light heavyweight belt. I think he did not. I don't think he played his cards right. Because, I mean, you look at the calendar, he's he's legit going to be out, what, a year and a half. He lost last fought in February against Dominic Reyes. So at at the very best, he's fighting when? International Fight Week of next year? Unless he decides to I take guess. a fight for no title. It's like, I don't know. It's going to get screwy. But um, I could totally see if Israel got that belt in January that John comes back down. 
because he always has the ability to go back and forth to heavyweight. But I, I just don't see him sitting out for a year and a half. I really don't, especially why Israel's you know stealing all the attention. <laughs> so I don't know. It's interesting. It's going to be wild to see how that shakes out. But um, all right, Billy, that does it for us this evening. Uh, we hit an hour right on, spot on. Any closing words from you? KSW this weekend, baby. So fire, fire it up. A little we, Polish MMA. Do you have to watch Polish. that on LimeWire or something? It's on DAZN, Parker. All right, boys. Um, big election night. Big, big fights coming up. Everyone, uh, stay safe. Have a good weekend. Me and Bill will be back. Hopefully with some good interviews. So um, signing off, Parker's MMA Show, episode 53, Billy. We're rolling, rolling along on our way to 55. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes. <laughs>